Kids, I'm Mike Gillis, and I'm Casey Dorn. It's great to see you again. <laughs> it's great to be with you again, and we have something very special to offer up. On our previous panel episode that we had on expanded universes, we had a spur conversation while everyone was on a bathroom break because we had friend of the show and panelist Ryan Chaddock on, and we specifically wanted to see what his reaction was to the Force Awakens trailer. Not only that, but the death of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. We veered off into some really interesting situations, like the terrorist group from Back to the Future, <laughs> and why our good friend Rosalind doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's fantastic because it's the kind of conversation that we would normally like to include in a panel, but we're often really focused. This one was just for shits and giggles, and I think you guys are going to like it. And uh, we are joined in the studio by Ryan Shaddock and Rosalind Townsend. I hope you like it. Enjoy. Oh, man. You know how much of my notes I've touched? Like 10%. Well, I was going to say that there's still a ton of stuff. Like, we could go on for hours and hours. Yeah, we haven't talked so about slash crap, fiction or the, even... the crossover stuff you're talking about here. I mean, crossover is a huge part. Um, sorry, yeah. what were you going to say, Rosalind? Rosalind. Oh, there's just a ton of shit. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I agree. Star Trek have teamed up with X-Men. Both ca- both casts of Star Trek have teamed up with X-Men at some point, right. including the original, where I actually have some screen uh, captures of the panel where Spock pinches Wolverine's neck. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> and what makes it so incompatible is that the way the characters are drawn is so different because the characters in Star Trek are, of course, actors, so they're realistically apportioned. And then you have characters in X-Men who are these, like, hulking, muscular people. Muscular, right. So when you have them in the same room, it looks so fucking weird. <laughs> That's awesome. But they've done it twice. There's been uh, like novels of Star Trek X-Men. I don't even know why that exists. But apparently, you know, one, money, and two... Uh, yeah. there's big, big fan bases and why have just one when you can mix them together? Right. So, well, and, oh, and I was going to bring up X-Files mythology. Yeah, oh, I was going to say the first expanded universe that I was ever like into in any way. I read X-Files comics back when I was like in oh, junior high. I think Malibu put those out. Really? I yeah. loved them. It was when I learned, like, that was how I first learned about shit like trepanning, where you drill a hole in your head. <laughs> I you didn't try that out. I was amazed that my parents let me buy them. It was like, I would buy X-Files comics and Weekly World News were like the two things that I would So mostly just get. weird bat monsters. It was like Bat Boy and like dudes trying to do trepanning on themselves. <laughs> Junior oh. High was great. <laughs> Oh, man. Minimal injuries. Oh, man. So I, that's the thing. I knew that this was be a topic where we weren't going to get into 90% of the stuff we have. We've oh, been, my God. We've been yeah. babbling a lot about Star Trek and Star Wars. Well, honestly. I think it's in a weird sort of sense, it almost makes it more approachable because I think listeners do know those. Yeah, two. that's true. I, I mean, it can be the way in which we talk about these ideas. I think the ideas we're talking about with Star Trek and Star Wars apply to all of them. There's a weirdness about the Red Dwarf expanded universe. Too. That's true, too. Um, I actually know that through the novelizations of my first expanded universe anything with novelizations of movies was the novelization to Back to the Future 3 oh, yeah. that I read when I was in fifth grade. And if here's the weird thing that you don't know about Back to the Future, 
that Marty and Doc are best friends, but you have no idea why these two characters know each other and why they're best friends. <laughs> that's, that's true. That it's so weird that a high school kid, especially Marty, who's kind of a cool high school kid, he's not a nerdy outcast. He's kind of a cool, a cool guy who is in a band and knows all this stuff. His best friend is an older man who is a weirdo scientist who's probably the town kook. I'll be right back. Right. What I really love about Doc's van, if you notice it in the first movie, is it says 24-hour science services. So it means... <laughs> and there's like a phone number. So it means that that he's available 24 he's hours a day. He's a, yeah, if you need a scientist for some reason, you can well, call him. Well, and he's him. a nuclear scientist. Yeah. Like he's, he's got plutonium. He has plutonium. It's like, right? it, it's so weird. He ripped off terrorists in that first movie. And after right. he defeats that small cell of them, you never hear from them again. You th- I know. That was the most confusing part of the whole series for me. And it's a series with time travel. Yeah. Like, was what the hell's with the, were the Iranians? Libyans. Like, it was like, Libyans. The Libyans. Libyans, right. The Libyans. It's just like, the Libyans. I just remember as a child, I was like, what the fuck is a Libyan? Like, yeah. What? And I what? guess that entire terrorist group were inside that minivan. So when right, he crashed exactly. into the development photo shack, then they were all gone. Like, I guess he took them all what? out. <laughs> Good what job, Doc Brown. You know, Marty right. and Ben. I think he. Oh, that's the thing too. Is that the next day, uh, the people working in the mall are going to see that the photo development shack is destroyed, and there's be dead terrorists inside of it, <laughs> and they're going to like, what the fuck just happened here? That's going to be the biggest news at Hill Valley, which is really not that big a town, has ever had. Why are there dead terrorists at the mall? I don't know. In the video game... They had a rocket launcher in the van. Driving. Oh, in sorry. That, in the video game, there was a really, really long road you had to drive down. So I really... I, I feel <laughs> it's like it's a pretty street. big town. It really much is. Canon. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the uh, novelization that I read... Actually, uh, and I know that the novelization of the first movie actually does get into how Marty and Doc met. And it was the idea that he just put an ad in the paper looking for a lab assistant. Mm-hmm. And apparently he like, I think the version of it they didn't use in the movie is that he, he paid the kid with beer. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, so this guy this just, sounds really familiar. Yeah. I read this somewhere. But that's the idea that this weirdo scientist and that and the the creators are like, yeah, of course he's kind of that's the sort of an adult that a teenager would be drawn to because he's kind of a weirdo outcast, mm-hmm. and the other adults don't think well of him because the only time you ever see anyone mention Doc Brown, aside from Marty and Jennifer mentions Doc a couple times, but you hear the um, uh, Strickland mentions, are you still hanging out with that that lunatic or something? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they do know that that's his friend, but right. he's the town kook. Yeah, he's yeah. the weirdo, and that this this teenager who's in a band, his best friend is a, is like a seventy year old scientist guy who's been building shit, living out of his garage. By the way, if you noticed <laughs> uh, that, that, if you look at the garage at the beginning of the movie, that's his gar- That he lives in the same address that he did in the fifties, but right. that uh, the house itself burned down at some point, and he's living out of the garage. <laughs> It's really crazy, and you notice it's the same set and everything. Well, there's the only problem with the movie is that uh, the movie can't obviously could not um, convey the smell that it probably smelled like in Doc's Brown, Doc Brown's lab, and I'm sure it was probably pretty horrendous. Oh my god, I love I love those movies so much. I, I've said this before about uh, my favorite sci-fi franchises, and Planet of the Apes is my number one, uh, t- close to Tide. Time uh, cop two and three. Yes, time, time cop. cop. It's all <laughs> Anything about... with time. <laughs> but uh, 
it, the number two and three really close together are Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. So how do you feel about the new Ghostbusters? I don't feel anything yet. I would feel more if I had a greater sense of hope for reboots, period. That's the first mm-hmm. one. I have no problem with the cast at all. Um, I don't really know about the writer. I don't want this to just be the hangover slash bridesmaids with proton packs. Um, I say, I I guess what I want them to do, I think if it's going to be the best, strongest movie ever, it needs a really good script. And why my thing, if I was going to be made God of the Ghostbusters reboot, what I would do was get a script by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, get them Mm. to write the script. And then and write it with this cast in mind because right. you don't want to just remake the last one with the same characters because those characters were written so clearly to Bill Murray for those. Be- oh yeah, yeah. It's written to their strengths. So what you got to do yeah. is create a different dynamic for these actresses and say, okay, what are their comedic strengths? How do we bring those strengths out and make them work as a group? Mm-hmm. And the second thing I would do is drop the whole plot of the original with this reboot, keep just the basic premise, sort of what the uh, the Planet of the Apes reboot did. What is the bare-bones, hard-line spine of this movie? And that is essentially that a bunch of weirdo rogue nerds, and that's the thing is these characters have to be fucking weird. These are weirdos. It's mm-hmm. like, it's essentially a movie about the sort of weirdos that would have a public access show, except they turn out to be right, and then they save the world. And if right. you can do that and write that basic concept around a bunch of rogue scientist weirdos who start a ghost extermination company and save the world, anything else can completely change, and it should be changed to match the specific strengths and character needs of that cast. And that's what I would do. But I almost am afraid that they're so afraid to make anything that different that they'll just remake the movie note by note and make it less good. Hmm. That's is, my fear. Is there yeah. any sort of... Has anybody revealed anything on what the plot's going to be like? I've only seen no, pictures of the just, cast. just casting, I think, at this point, and the willingness of people like Bill Murray to be like, yes, we should do it. Yeah. Um, the, just a side note, Mike, the one thing that I really wanted to get that we we kind of sidestepped is Ryan's reaction to the April 14th, or April 2014. April 25th. Tw- excuse me. Holy April, shit, they April, live in infamy. Eight, April 25th <laughs> announcement that uh, they were sweeping aside all of the EU canon. Oh, yeah, I'm, uh, Ryan, I'm going to, when I open up the next segment, I think I'm going to give you a moment to, to do that really quick. Cool. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll get a chance to talk about that. That, that wasn't going to be your low point, was it? What? No. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, I do wish. I I still think that Admiral Thrawn is going to end up in the in the new series. Okay. And if, so so we should I, I think it, we should prompt yeah. you then. We should prompt you to do it because okay. I feel like that's an, a, a, a timely and important piece. We could also do this as a separate thing too. We, why why don't we? Okay. Yeah. You, you want to um? Let's do the high point low point and then do a separate thing, Ryan. Where we t- we can all as a group talk about the Star Wars reboot. If and Rosalind does not look into, I, I haven't even seen any of the original movies. Really? Yeah, I am completely the ah. There was the thing that I was going to tell is you. Is this some kind of uh, purity promise thing? You're saving yourself for marriage or something on <laughs> I Star have my, Wars? My Star Wars ring. <laughs> yes. No, um, you're not the only one with a Star Wars ring. I promise <laughs> well, you. I've, I've I've never really been interested and. Honestly, talking to you guys about it, I know why now. <laughs> oh, yes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, wow. Throw in some shade. <laughs> oh. I, uh, I can talk about why if you want. I feel like we're not representing it well then. No, okay. um, it's, <laughs> I have never really been a huge fan of fantasy stories. 
It's just a preferential sort of thing. And while I've always heard Star Wars sort of under as an overarching sort of archetype being told that like, oh, the power of myth is like the thing that you always hear. Mm. It's a fantasy story. And I'm realizing now I've tried to sit down and watch the films over and over again. And the thing that has it just hasn't really gripped me the same way science fiction has because it's fantasy. Mm. And I'm just going to kind of accept it. But it's you know, but it is it is Joseph Campbell, but it's equal parts uh, Flash uh, Gordon. It's it's equal parts Flash Gordon, uh, E.E. Doc Smith and uh, and Akira Kurosawa. I mean, it's got there's so much of the shit that it's it's sort of packed into it i mean it's it is a i don't even know it doesn't make sense it's a postmodern movie yeah i guess yeah. throwing this out there to you rosalind too how do you feel about lord of the rings it's a fantasy does it make you just it just not again do it for you well, i was able to watch them and i thought that the the first movies that came out were fun but i never i tried reading the books and i always fell asleep at tom bombadil's house and yes yeah. like, everyone oh, too. Tom, Bomb- <laughs> tom bombadil is the padre scene of lord of the rings <laughs> so and like i've i respect the the mythos involved and i cut like being the kind of person who like is really freaking nerdy about fandoms and like expanded universes i respect that people are in, as into it as they are and i feel that way about star wars as well but it's just a preference that i've never mm. really huh. been like it's at one point we would talk about the idea of genre fantasy is one of the hardest types of genre for me to get into it's really yeah. weird hmm. yeah i i get that way too some so anyways uh, ryan i guess dive into it i guess this will be the segment we just turn into something else later let's we can release this as a as a separate piece so oh, okay. uh what how did you react to that announcement that uh, the investment you had made is all for nothing and that it's going <laughs> to be over. Like, it's like dust in your <laughs> mouth and that there is time of your life that is gone and you are now closer to death <laughs> and that the time spent on Star Wars novels will mean nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one way of interpreting it. But um, <laughs> well, what's funny is I went through stages with it because like our knowledge of what that meant changed over time. And so we knew at one point they were forming some kind of committee during the process when Lucas was selling, you know, the studios and everything. And, and so we knew that some kind of Canon situation was going to happen. And then they started talking about throwing out the old Canon and made these proclamations. I, you know, the Canon situation for, for Star Wars was so weird to begin with because it's a, it's a tiered system, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I remember Casey and I had many conversations about it because Casey at the time, I think at the various times that we had these conversations, like had uh, kind of, I think kind of a problem with the idea of like two things that are contradictory being true at the same time, which is what Star Wars allows for with its multi-tiered canon, is the idea that there's a spectrum of truth. Yeah, so I've always but, been a conservative neocon and can only have one <laughs> ver- version of the world at a time. Right. Not even like two versions of the world where there's canon and not. With Star Trek, with Star Wars there was a spectrum, and yeah. so that rainbow uh, I think is very, I think even you know, I think for everybody it's kind of a problem. Yeah. Or it was a problem. All of that is now getting shoved into the Legends sort of expanded universe Stuff and but the thing is, what they're saying now is that like they're encouraging new uh, content creators to reference it, which is I guess a, a, a gleam of hope that certain things will come, you know, come back. <laughs> but I mean, so for me, I've never been worried about it 
in that all of that stuff still exists, right? I mean, like, you're being hyperbolic there by, I mean, obviously, intentionally, right? Yes. <laughs> that, that it's all gone, and it doesn't matter because they exist. These novels are still there. I can go back and reread that stuff or, or play these games. And I really think that, well, and actually we have some evidence of this because what we do know is that the new TV series, uh, Star Wars Rebels, is within the new canon, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so all of the stuff that's in there is 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 canon. Well, in, uh, I want to say, the third or fourth episode of Star Wars Rebels, they make reference to the lightsaber forms explicitly. Oh, nice. I didn't well, those lightsaber forms were introduced in the role-playing game. Right. And then were expanded through, I think, some kind of art book. So, I mean, like, that level of back reference to expanded universe is very very like i think that's a good sign i think that was almost intentional like a that was a dog whistle (laughs) to those of us who care about canon it was certainly an olive branch yeah i mean I, i don't know how many people caught that but for me that's that's a pretty big deal because that's first of all that's pretty deep into the expanded universe like once you can name you know the lightsaber forms that's when you know you've graduated into like, <laughs> Star Wars nerddom but uh, yeah so i don't know um so i'm still i am hopeful i'm a fairly optimistic nerd in general though hmm. yeah i mean i i Ryan i can't help be thinking about this because when we did our our George Lucas panel i kind of went off the rails a little bit um and channeled some of my boiling frustration about the changes that had happened with um, Star Trek. And it's interesting because I didn't know um, about the you Ryan, you mentioned that you looked at the star uh, at the wiki page for Star Trek canon. And yes, mm-hmm. P- Paramount basically removed references to what canon actually meant um, because they just <laughs> didn't because they didn't want to deal with it anymore. And at the obviously at the time of the first movie, they were still trying to do this thing where they were juggling. They were still juggling. There was a prime canon and there's an alternate canon. And of course, it made me upset. Be- it, 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 it it less so now, but it made me upset back then. And I was thinking. You, you Star Wars fans that where you have all this stuff that you love, just wait until the time where right. they decide you, to to pull the rug out from under you right. and how you feel about it, and being like, "Shut the fuck up!" J.J. Abrams made people want to see it again. Well, right. here this is this is a, a prelude to what ends up happening. Um, you used the, the term Schadenfreude, I think, <laughs> yeah. uh, at the time. I, I still quote you from that that Lucas episode. Um, <laughs> well, and the funny thing was, during that episode, we already knew to some degree what was happening with the canon. Right. I think you were more talking about it seemed like JJ Abrams maybe messing things up, not just canon-wise, but sort of like the tone. It's doing it, the yeah. the pacing and the tone and and what what kind of a movie would end up making. But I mean, I I was playing that more for laughs than I was for anything right. else and there's there there was a there of course was a I feel like a justifiable um a justified Homicide. Justifiable, justifiable homicide. homicide. No, a sort of a justifiable <laughs> gripe that ended up happening there. But the uh, the 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 impetus to that rage, to that concern, um, is 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 I think palpable now with the Star Wars fans. And I guess what are your what are your thoughts on the um, on the tra- on the trailer, and especially about like just the sheer insanity of people declaring that this has to be the best thing ever based on you know about twenty seconds of footage. <laughs> well, they shows. they knew exactly how to really to to push my buttons. Honestly, hmm. you know, show me a black stormtrooper. <laughs> That's something we haven't seen. You know, put him on something that looks like Tatooine. Show me the Millennium Falcon. Show me a cool droid. 
and show me a lightsaber I haven't seen before. Hmm. That's all you'd have to do to make me go to see anything. Hmm. So you know, they know what they're doing, and it was it was well cut, and uh, you know I've watched it. 40 or 50 times at this point. Uh, it's uh, so funny that it's bringing the racists out of the woodwork, too. They're like, black guy. Oh, yeah. My God, a black guy. It isn't hard to bring well, the racists out of the woodwork on the internet. <laughs> well, but they, they, they so want to be able to be like, oh, no, they're all supposed to look like Django Fett or whatever. You know, they, they think they want to use the cannon Wait, is, yeah, isn't that an EU? Isn't that racism. An, isn't that an EU thing? Is that uh, they're conscripts later on and therefore they can basically be anyone? Well, I mean, it's complicated. It depends on which canon you're looking at. Of course. Because in the, you know, the Thrawn trilogy, they start, you find out about the, like, later clones. And they actually integrated this into the Clone Wars TV series, where sort of the later clones are weaker. They're not, you know, they're like an accelerated version because they wanted to produce more clones faster. Hmm. That's how they got really shitty by the time the the, the, the the farm boy was taking them out. These blast points are way too accurate for stormtroopers. (laughs) Exactly. No, no, but the thing is that they, you know, so eventually they, the clone system is gone. I mean, there's a lot of canon that basically says, no, they, you know, people join the empire. They're enlisted and they're, you know, they, I mean, even Luke in the, in episode four talks about, you know, signing up. Have I told you what my real issue with the idea of them all being clones is? Uh, Because you just extrapolate just a little bit. You have a bunch of people who are essentially slaves from birth and only taught how to fight. And then the war is over and you're unleashing thousands upon thousands of the exact same guys (laughs) onto society. And some of these people are not going to be able to handle post-military life and some are going to turn to crime. And suddenly you have 9 million alibis (laughs) for where you were during that. Well, especially if you're, say, a bounty hunter like Boba Fett. Yeah. (laughs) And what are you you doing to the gene pool, too? Because suddenly it's like, you know, eat your heart out, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. How many kids is this single person with this DNA having? Where only a couple generations down the line. I mean, the question yeah, there could of, be a real blue blood inbreeding situation I was happening say, on some planets. In one planets. generation, yeah. everyone will be first cousins. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> I mean, that's well, how the and, empire falls. <laughs> and we know that they can have kids. Like, it's not like they were genetically stopped from doing that. Because in the in the Clone Wars series, which is still canon. One of them has a kid with a Twi'lek. Oh. Um, Fris- frisky. Because really, the Clone Wars series is about this. It's about what is it like if you're a, you know, a clone with all these people and, and uh, how they differentiate themselves from each other and how they treat each other and how they deal with the sort of indoctrination and how many of them stay with them and how many of them turn against them and the, emp- the you know, them finding out about, you know, one of them finds out about Code 66. Hmm. I mean, it's. Uh, Sorry, I guess I'm doing a lot of spoilers. No. But, you know, really, Clone Wars is this amazing story about what it, what would it be like to have clones and also a story about military, you know, military life. So I think it addresses a lot of those issues. So I think that's a good place to stop that conversation. Sure. We can <laughs> – we're probably going to wrap sure. this up and put it on uh, as an extra at some point. Sure. And uh, we can probably put it out. Uh, oh. <clears throat> any, any last thing you want to say about clones in Star Wars? Roslyn. 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 Am I supposed to be like magically persuaded to like? I, I, I'm going to watch. I think, I think you have to have the, a very the, deep opinion on this right now. I'm going to watch all of the Stars' Wars. <laughs> I, just, I will enjoy Star, it. Is that like Attorney's General? Stars. Stars right. War. I'm going to watch Star all of the Stars' War. War. Wait, you said Star Wars? I was watching Sitar Wars. <laughs> that would be 
a great reality show. Okay, forget all of the shit that, you guys were talking about. That was your problem, about. is that you downloaded the original Sitar Wars trilogy, and that's why you thought gonna, it was so hard I'm to get I'm gonna go to it. Hollywood and pitch Sitar Wars, and like, fuck all y'all, I'm leaving. The one named Falcon oh, I, is, you know, is piloted so by much. Han Shankar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we might Ryan. also mention the despecialized edition just came out. Incidentally, oh, oh. yes, oh, the, the the one the one Star Wars related thing I was interested in, and I this was uh, basically like random conversation that I heard, and it may not be true. So there's obviously a, a, a think tank, if you will, of Star Wars knowledge that I should ask about. I heard that there is an alternate universe, which we haven't really talked about in terms of canon, how alternate universes do or don't work, where. The characters in Star Wars made it to a, basically Earth. They made it to our galaxy and they came to Earth. And that Chewbacca is the origin of the Sasquatch myth. <laughs> <laughs> and like they crashed in the Pacific Northwest and somebody finds the Millennium. And it was Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Has anyone heard of this? Like... Well, it, it, that's just like, um, you know, when Quark is there at Area 51. Right. <laughs> Roswell. Yes. But that, that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, there are canon Star Trek AUs. I mean, the Mirror Universe is a pretty prominent one. But right. yeah, there, there really right. isn't time travel or alternate universes in Star Wars, are there? They don't really do that as a um, plot device. Well, in the, there's some comics in which there are, like, beings that are very powerful. They can sort of change the universe. Um, they're fairly – that's pretty far down the canon list. Right. And obviously Believe it or now. not, I know that we're pretty much done with this bit, but one of the most popular AU – or fan-accepted AU ideas that happens for Red Dwarf, believe it or not, is that every episode is an alternate reality. And that way it huh. explains any sort of plot holes and that it also – toward the end, you know, you like Ace Rimmer, there's like all these different Ace Rimmers that you see and – all of the episodes was a different Ace Rimmer that eventually left. <laughs> Red Dwarf is one of those shows that just doesn't actually need to worry about canon at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, oh, comedy they, almost doesn't, right? right? They, they subvert, they make fun of it a lot right, of the that, time. That actually like, makes it probably a, an even better thing to have a canon for as, as a show that just would mock the idea of having a canon to begin with. Right. <laughs> well, I think that's why you're allowed to do shit, like say, well, it was all an alternate reality every right. episode. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. so... <clears throat> I think that's a good, good job, everybody. Good job, everybody. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Who? Who? Who do you think? The Libyans!